Thank you for downloading the Bristol Lectures podcast, brought to you by the University of the West of England. In this podcast, we are joined by Dr Darren Henley, OBE, Chief Executive of Arts Council England. Good evening, everyone. My name is Lee Nathan, and I'm the Regional Chairman of the Federation of Small Businesses for the South West. I moved up to Bristol area a couple of years ago, not only because I thought it would be good for my business, but also because I knew this would be a vibrant and forward-looking area which has so much to give in the terms of its cultural offering. And that is why I'm so delighted to be asked to introduce a key player in our nation's cultural life as our speaker tonight. Bristol and the West of England is nationally known as a hotspot for arts and creativity. And that brings dividends not only for those of us lucky enough to live and work here, but also the wider local economy, which is greatly boosted by having wide-ranging cultural activities on our doorsteps. A thriving arts community is good for business, which is why the two can and should work together where possible. In the context, as long-term supporters of these Bristol lectures, the FSB, as Britain's biggest business representation group, is pleased to be acting as partner hosts to welcome Darren Henley, the Chief Executive of the Arts Council for England, to be our key speaker tonight. Mr. Henley brings with him a wealth of experience in the arts and media business. He led Classic FM for 15 years before joining the Arts Council in 2015, and he also the, art, the author sorry, of two independent government reviews into music and cultural education. He has received a British Academy President's Medal for his contributions to music education, music research, and the arts, and also awarded an OBE for his services to the arts. His latest book, The Arts Dividend Revisited, shows the link between arts, business and the community by highlighting the role of public investment in helping to create happier lives in villages, towns, cities across England. Please put your hands together and welcome our guest speaker for the evening, Darren Henley. You're no stranger to one of those, are you? N- not at all. Are you singing first? Yeah. Okay. Uh, there's no business like no. Okay. Uh, we'll save that later for the drinks. Um, it's really great to see you, um, and thank you so much for coming to Arnolfini and coming to Bristol. Uh, it's been a busy old time the last 18 months, hasn't it? But you look like you've got all your faculties. Um, in fact, you look in robust health, uh, Mr. Henley. So how has it been? Shall we start with a little catharsis? How has it been? Well, look, I mean, I think everybody, whether they work in the creative industries or anywhere, has had a, you know, a very different time, uh, a difficult time over the last 18 months. Uh, and I think people have all, all sorts of challenges. I think one of the things that really strikes me is the resilience of uh, people who work in the creative industries and their ability uh, across the whole of the cultural sector to, to, in the face of really, really tough uh, decisions that they've had to make, to, to actually continue to be relevant people's lives and to do the best they can to connect with people and uh, you know the Arts Council um, we, we've done our best and we, we, we try very hard and you know here in the, in the southwest uh, Phil Gibby who's the southwest area director and the team here have worked incredibly hard to to be as supportive as we possibly can to all of the individual artists and cultural organizations across the southwest and we've had the benefit of you know, a £2 billion investment from the government uh, you know which showed the value of arts and culture and we're trying to make sure that we're investing that money as wisely as we possibly can to do the best we possibly can for, for, for the audiences in the end. Because in the end, it's about the people who enjoy the art and the culture that we create, but also as being as supportive as we can to the people that make that work. So how quickly did you make the call to DCMS then when we knew we were going into lockdown to, to, to secure that £2 billion investment? Because so it has the, been fantastic, but how quickly? So the first thing that we actually did, we, we closed our offices on... on uh, March the 17th uh, that, uh, in 2020 and I remember talking to Phil and I, I, he was one of the people I, I phoned and he said yeah in Bristol people aren't coming in now it's, it's, it's really happening uh, and we did and the following weekend our executive board met and we were really worried 
about what the sector was going through, what individual artists in the sector were going through. So we actually created our own emergency response fund. We spent all of our reserves, essentially. Uh, and that was something that happened very, very quickly. And that gave us a bit of breathing space. And we also sort of varied the terms for our national portfolio organisations so that we, they could continue to trade and continue to ma maintain their cash flow. No one had imagined that overnight all the revenue streams for everybody would just disappear. So whether you had ticket sales or, or bars or restaurants or you were hiring out spaces, it just all disappeared overnight. And no one had planned for that. And no one had planned for it on the basis of such a sustained period of that happening. So we had, and then we started talking to government, and, and, and it was then about working with DCMS and working with Treasury to model the amount of money, how it would happen. Again, at that stage, we didn't have any knowledge of how long the pandemic would last. Were we doing something that was about three months more? Were we doing something for longer? So there were lots and lots of conversations, and, you know, it's public money, so we've got to be, it's, ta it's your money, it's taxpayers' money, it's national lottery players' money. Uh, we've got to be really careful about how we're spending and spending it wisely. So all of those decisions are factored in. And there was, there was a lot of anxiety, I mean, not just because we, it was locked down, but there was a lot of anxiety because arts and culture was not top of the list of the priorities, and it took a little time, did it not, before uh, the Treasury and DCMS actually came up with a solution. And that did cause even more anxiety, so that must have been more pressure on your teams too. Yeah, and I, and I absolutely understand people's anxiety, but I think one of the things uh, that you know, was going on behind the scenes and the government was very keen to do was to get the amount of money right and to get the terms of it right. And actually, you know, as we look back now, uh, and it's easy always to look back with hindsight, one of the things I'd say is that, that um, you know, and I don't minimise the challenges that individual artists and creative practitioners have faced in this period, and I don't minimise the challenges that organisations have faced and some, some really tough decisions that people who lead organisations have had to make. But, you know, we still have an arts and culture sector in this country that is now coming out, and I think that, that is, uh, you know, a direct result of that money. And we're, we're still going through round three of the Cultural Recovery Fund right now, so there's a team across the country uh, working at the Arts Council right now looking at, uh, you know, this week there are panel decisions being made on that, you know, so it's still ongoing, and we'll be going ongoing for, for quite some time. We have a, a loan book as part of this now that we didn't have before, so for those bigger organisations, so we will be running that loan book for the next 20 years. So, you know, this is, this is quite a significant uh, both an investment and a change in the way we operate. So that's what I wanted to talk to you about. Let's say that was then, okay, this is now. What, what has changed fundamentally? What, what's, um, what's really good for you, a CEO um, of the Arts Council, that's come out of this? What, what fundamental changes do you think are going to be even better for the sector? I mean, uh, there's that uh, Jenny Mitchell song, you know, you, you don't know what you've got to till it's gone. And, and you, can, I, you can sing that one then. I, I'll, I'll, in the bar, as you say afterwards. And uh, uh, I think... The really interesting thing is that none of us had ever imagined what it would be like to see all of our museums and libraries and arts organisations, performance venues, shut down for a period of time. And, you know, it's, I don't know about you, but it's great to be in a room like this with other human beings. Uh, and that, I'm still, I'm still, you know, it's nice, isn't it? And uh, it's nice to see people um, not in a little square box with their name in the left-hand corner. Uh, I'm terrible at remembering people's names, so I have to say that's been brilliant over the last 18 months. Um, but uh, it, I think, you know, that, that, that the art and culture, arts organisation, artists, creative people, they're kind of what makes us human. And they, what makes life worth living, and I think that abs the absence of that from our lives, um, I, I feel, uh, is something I've missed, and I know lots of people I talk to have missed. Uh, and so I think that's really important. But also, there is a recognition. You know, this is a sector where the government did choose to put across the UK two billion pounds into it. It hasn't done that for every sector. So I think there is an acknowledgement of that value in our lives, uh, and that's really, really important. What about the operation of the Arts Council itself, Darren? Has anything changed in that? Have you learnt? Have you learnt anything that you can... Yeah, we learnt that, um, you know, even... In, we do lots of, did lots of disaster recovery planning. We never anticipate all nine of our offices closing down overnight simultaneously. Uh, and we learnt that our IT system, as our IT director, Nigel, always told me it would. It worked. So, you know, and actually, we've, we've been operating at 100% capacity, essentially, since, since that period. You know, in terms of the, the volume of work that we've put through. So I think, you know, rough numbers, I think in a normal year, we, we process about 17,000 grants. Uh, we processed uh, 43,000 grants last year. Um, we uh, previously, in the previous year, uh, turned over, if you like, the, the revenue we had coming in to us from government uh, and National Lottery was about 750 million. Last year, it's 1.75 billion. So, you know, we, we, we've, and all of the things and the checks and balances that we need to put in place in that because it's public money, which is really important. So we've done a lot of learning. We've learned that uh, we can work quite flexibly and we've learned that we can work fast. And, and, you know, one thing that's very important to me, I hope we've, 
we've, we've operated as an organization with, uh, with a generosity of spirit uh, and with kindness, and that's really, really important to me that we do that and we respect people. We, we don't always give people the answers they want. I know that. We have to say no sometimes to people. But I think the way we do it is really, really important and we treat people with respect and we are kind. I think most people in this room would say that they, the experience of the Arts Council in the last 18 months has just been that. Um, so let's, let's, let's move on to the next 10 years then, because you have a strategy um, called Let's Create, and that's incredibly important to lots of people in this room, and certainly lots of people in the city region and wider, if not the UK. Um, and there's a, there's a, a national portfolio organisation round just about to come too, which is lots more paperwork and form filling for everybody. Um, I thought I'd get that in first before the audience groaned. Um, but what I'd really like to know is, what, what do you want your cultural partners, MPOs, or people that are going to bid for money in your Let's Create strategy to really understand about that strategy and, your, and what you, what's your ambition for the delivery of it? What, what, what secrets do they need to know in order to, to play, play with you over the next 10 years? Well, I think the first thing I would say is, I mean, one, it is not... A, cheap answer everything is available online so i would encourage you to look at that and that's that, that it, it is all there and it's worth reading it it's amazing how many applications we get where people we, we ask quite clearly what we want to hear what we need to know and people tell us something else so i'd say just do follow the guidance it's, it's worth reading and digesting and thinking about but on a, on a higher level um you know, we want everybody in this country, wherever they live, uh, in every part. So a city like Bristol, you know, there's a, we, there's a lot of investment here. And there's a lot of really good stuff. But there's, this is a city where there's, there's brilliant parts and there's places where we've got to work hard and we've got to connect more people. We want everybody to be able to live their best cultural life. We want everybody to have that opportunity. We, we absolutely want everybody um, to be able to enjoy excellent, high-quality work where they are. And we also want people to be able to create their own work as well, and that's really important as well. So, so that sense of being able to be a participant and to, to, to be culturally creative and aware. I think one of the things that, that I'm very aware of is, you know, the people who tend to end up running this country tend to have similar backgrounds, and I think it's really, really important that everybody has a seat at that table, potentially. Uh, and so everybody needs those shared cultural experiences and also that we recognise the value of everybody's culture as well. So I think that's, that's really, really important. So for me, it, you know, it, 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 it's never been an organisation at the Arts Council where we sit behind a desk in, behind the M25. Other than the last 18 months when I've been locked in my back bedroom, um, uh, I've been half of every week travelling around the country and that's really important to me, uh, that I see the work and meet the people. You know, tonight I'm off to, uh, to Cumbria tomorrow, which is not that easy to get to in an evening, but anyway. Uh, so, so, you know, I'm, I've got three days spending in Cumbria looking, meeting artists and arts organisations there, working with partners. You know, universities are incredibly important partners for us. Uh, local authorities are really important, but you know the university sector I think is quite exciting. So, and and and, and I'm not just saying this because I'm sitting here as your guest, but UE is a really strong exemplar university of being a partner in its place and using culture to define its place. Well, that's very nice to hear. Thank you very much. Pretty the vice chancellor's not here this evening to hear it, but he might listen to the podcast. Um, so let, let's let's spend a little bit of time talking about Bristol and the city and the city region because it is incredibly rich uh, culturally, as as we know. And we've had some pretty big investment from Arts Council in the last few years. The glorious Old Vic, an amazing transformation. Um, big investment going on in Bristol Beacon. I saw uh, the Bristol Beacon team sitting there. Hello, very welcome, Louise. Um, uh, but but you know everybody wants a piece of, of that kind of big infrastructure investment. So how do we best get that right going forward? You talked about partners. We can't put it entirely on your shoulders. But but sometimes we're not very good at doing things together. Uh, I think you know I think actually I, I went to Bristol Beacon this afternoon. Uh, it's fantastic, uh, and it's probably obviously not going to be open just yet. But it's going to be amazing when it is. And, and, and Louise and the team have done a, a fantastic job there. And you know I think it's. Already you can see uh, the architectural riches of that building being uncovered and you can then start to see the dream. And one of the great things that I've never seen on a building site before, for the builders, they've actually got pictures all around of what each of the parts of it are going to look like at the end with the audience sitting in there. And I've never seen that. I've been on, I've been on dozens of, of building sites I've been on since I started this job. And I've never seen that. I really like that. And, and the foreman said, well, actually, that's because we're creating something here. And I think that creative story in Bristol is really important. So I, what I always say is I think it's really important for places to have a narrative and to have a very strong narrative. And I think actually in Bristol you've got that and you've developed it over time. Go on then, what's our narrative? What's our story? Oh, I think you're a creative place. I think you're a place that makes things happen. Um, and I think you, you're, you're quite technology 
advanced. I think Bristol, I think, you know, some of the things that, that you're doing at Watershed over the years, I think, have been very, very strong. Uh, I think you're, you're a place now where, where actually uh, in... in, in uh, welcoming, uh, you're a very welcoming place actually, so I think of things like power orchestra actually and things like that and, and for me um, that's about saying how can we think of something very different that needs to happen and actually you're inventing stuff here and so I think you should be very confident about your story and I, I, I always feel some places are shout louder and maybe Bristol hasn't always shouted loud enough about what you have here and what you do. The other thing that I think is really interesting and is probably fairly unique in cities of this size, is you all seem to know each other and you all seem to quite like each other and you all seem to get on. <laughs> and that doesn't happen everywhere, but there is a definite sense, you know, I come to, you know, I see you having, you know, drinking your red wine and, and things like this, and actually it's really interesting. Um, there is a very collegiate spirit here. I'm not sure that's evident in every city like this, and I think you, you can build on that. So there's a very, there's a good sense that when you talk to someone from Bristol, they'll tell you the Bristol story and they'll tell you about someone else in Bristol who's really interesting, who they don't actually, you know, they don't need to tell you about. It's a generosity spirit. I would completely agree with that. And um, I think we've seen that, um, that story and that generosity of spirit actually begin to, to bear some fruit. So um, the mayor of Bristol obviously is a huge supporter of culture, uh, was fully behind the Channel 4 uh, Creative Hub coming here, which was really good to have his leadership in that. We have a One City Culture Board just at its beginnings and its fledgling, and there's lots more work to do in that. And also we have had really good support from the regional authority um, and out of that has come a, a cultural compact for so for the people in the audience who don't understand that just talk a little bit about what a compact is because it is a partnership isn't it it's it's a it's a it's a group of people aiming to to achieve something explain what that is that would be really helpful i mean actually right so so mayor marvin has done amazing things and and, and i think you know and also we have uh, the, the the west of england combined authority and we'll be doing more with them as, as the year goes on. I'll be back in, in, in Bristol before the end of the year to, to talk about that some more. But what we're doing is we're bringing people together. So there's a great convening power. So it's not just a talking shop, but because that's quite important. So it's, it is important to have discussions. It is important to talk. But also, it's how can we work together with all the different streams of public funding? How can we bring them together? And how can we make sense of them? I think one of the really interesting things at the moment, there are various quite large infrastructure-based schemes operating around the country that people can bid into at the moment. And, you know, it's not just uh, in, you know, if we look across the city uh, region as well as the, the city itself um, and the combined authority region, um, you know, places like uh, Western Supermare, for example, are really interesting for us at the Arts Council now. And across, across the southwest, we've got a, a series of, of priority places that we're, we're really interested uh, in, in uh, investing in. And they will make a big difference. With some of those places are places where we maybe haven't invested uh, as much as we might have done. So Bristol you know, has, a, has a good, long history of sustained investment. I want to see that good, long history of sustained investment uh, grow and be in some of those smaller towns around the edges as well. So, is that, so, so what other criteria did you decide those priority places? Because you said uh, Bristol isn't one. I, I hear why, why it, we, we're not one at the moment. Uh, Western, Supermare is. South Gloucestershire, I think, too, within our particular region. Is that about um, transforming those places that, you know, the arts dividend, as your book talks about, is that what it's about? How do, how do you choose... What is a priority place? So there is, again, if you look at our website, we'll share all our workings with you. So, so it's not secret. It's not mythical or mystical. Um, and, you know, essentially what we were looking for was uh, uh, places where uh, there'd been underinvestment, but there was opportunity, where we believe there was demand, and where we also recognised, I think it's really important. I always talk a lot about investable propositions. We, we always want to have places that, you know, there's no point, again, we are custodians of public money, it's your money. There's no point in us just writing a cheque to a place where we think it's going to be wasted. So what we're saying is, look, this is the right time for those places. We, 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 our team will, will, will work to develop, we'll, we'll build up partnerships there, and actually we would anticipate a greater level of investment going into those places over time because of that. And what would you like to see in those places then, as the person leading the Arts Council? What would you like to see in 10 years there? In 10 years' time, I want everywhere to have amazing art. I want everybody who's growing up in, in every school 
uh, in, in somewhere like Western, uh, to know that they can live their best cultural life, that they have access to things, they know the journey of how they could potentially get a job in the creative industries, or can become a really active audience member or a voluntary participant, whatever it is that, that is part of their life, that they could study it. You know, one of the things I, I'm passionate about is coming to a university like that UE and studying the humanities or the art subjects. They're really valuable, and you know, sometimes. Uh, they're not given the status and value that they should be in our society. I think it's really important. And we want also people to, to not only for the people who live in that place to benefit from it, but let's, you know, uh, other people to know that there's a reputation. Things are made in somewhere like Western. Things are made in Bristol. Uh, and, and people uh, understand that and, and sort of glory in it. And, that, that, you know, it's about, in a funny sort of way, if I can imagine it now then actually we haven't created the best possible thing because it's about artists and creative people imagining things that somebody like a boring bureaucrat like me can't possibly imagine. And, and, and that's the brilliance. That's what these people can do. And what we do is we create uh, an environment in which they can create their best work. But it's not, it's not it, you know, there, there isn't, you're not going to build a wall around there. It's for us in the city, yeah. in the city region, to support that development, is it? Yeah. Because it's a benefit to everybody. And you know the answers. I mean, that's the thing. That's what bringing people together and having those conversations. I, I always feel that creativity works at its best when we bring people with different life stories, different journeys, different backgrounds. We bring them together and they have that moment where they kind of smash together and have that creative spark. And that's the exciting time. So can we talk a little bit about... Um, politics and policy. We have a, um, a new culture secretary. Uh, there's quite a lot of spikiness around the edges of culture and um, how it is portrayed or how it's not portrayed. So let's talk a little bit about that. So first of all, what do you think of our new culture secretary? Well, I, I'm, I met her last week and, and she was very clear. Uh, and and I, she is my eighth culture secretary I've worked with in, in, since I've been doing this job. And she uh, was very, very clear. Um, uh, the things that she was saw most important were uh, participation, access, and social mobility. And they were the things that she has, has sort of, in her initial conversation, said that's what she wants to hear from, from, from the Arts Council. That's what she's very passionate about supporting. She talked a lot about uh, being a, a woman who, or a, young, a child who grew up on a council estate in, in Liverpool. Uh, and she talked a lot about wanting to make sure that people who had childhoods like hers, and she talked very powerfully about uh, being taken by a charity to the Everyman in Liverpool and seeing her first theatre performance, going to the museum, and she talked very eloquently about that, and that's what she, she said, that's what I took out of that meeting. Uh, the other thing is worth saying, you know, she is um, probably the most culturally successful uh, 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 culture secretary for, for years. She sold two and a half million books. It's hard to sell two and a half million books. I tell you, I won't be selling two and a half million books. Um, and <laughs> Even without my publicity. Yeah, without, without, without this generous publicity. Uh, and, you know, it's interesting. There are a group of people in this country who have bought her series of books and go on buying them. And I think it's really interesting, uh, all done without any public subsidy. So, you know, there's a really interesting conversation to be had there. And, uh, uh, and certainly, I thought she was very engaging and she was very engaged and supportive of what we were doing. I will always speak as I find. That's the conversation I have with her. And, and, and actually, you know, if we are truly inclusive, we want all of those voices around the table, don't we? Exactly. Um, so, having discussed that, let's, let's move on to, to this region, really, because um, whether or not we can build a, a positive relationship with the, the new culture secretary, and I, I really hope we do, and she has an open invitation to come and join us at any of our wonderful venues uh, in the city and in the city region. Um, what do you think are the, the threats to culture in, in this region? Because we're not really at the top of the queue for the levelling up agenda. And as that is going to be the, the refrain we hear for many, many, many years, we, we just aren't. We don't fit the criteria. Even if we think we do, we don't fit the criteria. So where does that put us then? You know, if we're not, if we're not really going to get government investment, if, we, if we're not going to hit the levelling up, how, how does arts and culture cope with that going forward? I, I wouldn't be so downhearted on, on, on not getting any government money uh, and I because I think that this region will um, and uh, I think always in the end great ideas are funded uh, I, I think sometimes they take a bit longer and I'm, not, and I'm not saying that it's always easy but I think creativity is rewarded and it is uh, and brilliant ideas are funded we as the Arts Council will continue you know we have a team based here in Bristol uh, you know, and, 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 and it radiates out across the southwest. Uh, and, and so Phil and his team are your absolute 
champions within the Arts Council. And I think, you know, we know some of their priorities uh, for, for, for development, you know, around things like, um, uh, you know, areas like arts and tech, around some of the partnerships we've got, around some of the, the work we've done in, you know, inclusive music here, you know. And, you know, these are, these are really, really important. Uh, and I think wherever we can find things, and, and I know Phil is always very keen all of our area directors are very keen on their areas, you'll be glad to know. Uh, and they, they, although they get on very well, they are very competitive. And, um, and that's a really good thing because he, he is a champion for what you do here. And, you know, we, we will work really hard to identify what's unique here, what's special here, and then to invest in it. And then, you know, how, always I'm interested in what can we do that's new, what's scalable. So what can we invent in Bristol that we can then roll out, and that could be the Bristol model that rolls out across the country. I mean, for example, uh, the Music Education Hub here is absolutely brilliant. And, and, and you know, some of the work that's being uh, done there is, is changing and leading how we think about music education hubs in other parts of the country. So, you know, there's a whole range of different things uh, that, uh, that we can do. I mean, the, the partnership that this building is now with the university, we're really interested in having university partnerships with organisations like Arnold Feeney, you know. So, so there's lots and lots of different things that we can do. The model we've got at the moment of, of investing in uh, visual artists in Bristol is unique, but it's really interesting to see how that 1.18 million pounds will, 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 will be used. Is there things that we, are there things that we can then learn that we can take to the rest of the country? So just to remind us of the, uh, the, the investment in this part of the world, what's the budget for our area? Should uh, I be looking at Phil, wherever he is over there? No, he says no, he's not looking. 10 million pounds a year. Well, that's not an inconsiderable sum, is it? 10 million pounds a year, which is absolutely fantastic. Now, we are sitting in a place of education, and I'd just like to, to talk to you a little bit about education, because um, in your book, which I have read, thank you very much, it's very, very interesting, um, you talk about cultural education and creative education being one of the principal reasons that we are a global success in our creative and cultural industries. Now, we all know that, that that's... That's a big conversation at the moment about how creative education continues in the future. We are very alive to that at the university because it, it's our students of the future. And I know my friends in schools are very alive to that as well, not quite being able to find the time in the curriculum to do it. Just talk to me a little bit, if you would, Darren, about the importance of that and how, if it, if it does disappear or it's diminished in the curriculum, how we can, as... Uh, recipients of it and those those of us who have really enjoyed it and, and had great lives because of that can get involved in ensuring that the next generations get some kind of education in the creative space. There's, there's two answers. There's one's the longer one. The, the, the short answer I'll give you very first is are you all school governors? Because people Right, who... let's have a hand, show of hands. School governors. Okay, so people who care... Oh, okay. That's good, that's really good. Uh, people who care about cultural education can go and become school governors. They are the people that hire the head teachers in the schools that make the decisions. So they're very, very powerful. So if all the people in the arts and cultural world became school governors, we could change, and no one would notice, we could change, <laughs> we could change the whole of education by stealth. Um, <laughs> And I genuinely mean, I, I do, I'm, I'm making this sort of sound flippant, but genuinely, they're very influential people in education. So I would encourage people to go and do it in a school near them, and it could make a massive difference. And also, you get, it's a very rewarding experience as well. Uh, the, the longer answer is, is I'm, for me, the three pillars of a sound education in total, you know, it's, not bi it's not binary. We, we, you don't have to be frightened of having a knowledge-rich education and still being creative. Um, and, and so for me, numeracy, literacy, and creativity should be the three central pillars of, of education. Of course we want people to read. Of course we want people to be able to do maths. Of course we want people to become scientists and, and technicians and engineers. But they can be creative as well. And I think, you know, uh, there's a whole range of things that I was talking to uh, one of the recruiters at one of the big four accountancy firms, and, and they actually said they really like to have... Uh, uh, young people who've done drama GCSE, they're really interested because actually they can start to pitch, they can start to talk and the maths was kind of a given um, if you're applying to an accountant, so, so it's those skills but so you don't just need to be, it's great, some people who do drama will become actors and directors and writers but some of them will become accountants, we all need more accountants in our lives. Yes, <laughs> I mean we spend a lot of time um, pondering the, the STEM to STEAM agenda 
as we call it, you know, this, how, how do we integrate that really? And that, that's exactly what you're talking about, isn't it? It's about the, the importance of having a, a plethora, a plate of skills to go forward. Yeah, and it's, it's it, it, I mean, I think one of the challenges is that, you know, you're 14 years old and you're basically at that point in your life maybe having to make a series of choices that shut down options for you. And, and I think that, that that's, to my mind, that's actually wrong in our education system. I think we should be keeping people's options open for as long as possible. And the actual, I'm also really interested in, 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 in that fact that, you know, I think universities going forward, people will come back and they will train again in their 30s or 40s. My midlife crisis, I did some degrees relatively recently, you know, and I think that, that for me was, was really interesting and, and I wouldn't have done it uh, 20 years ago in the same way, but I've learned lots of new stuff. So what, what would you say to, I think we do have some students and in the audience this evening, what would you say to them about their creative careers going forward? What, what advice would you give as, as in your lofty position, Darren, to, a, to, to a, a young graduate of a creative subject? I mean, if I was talking to a student directly, I would say the first thing to do is take every opportunity that you can. Everything that's offered to you in your 20s, as a piece of advice I was given, was, was just say, say, within reason, say yes to everything in your 20s, to give it a go. Have a go, try it out, because you won't necessarily know what you like, what you're good at, and it may not be what you think you like. And, and I think for you, in looking at the careers, you're going to have careers, I hate to say it, maybe last half a century. Uh, so actually, you may have two or three or four careers in that period. That's okay as well. Uh, and so I think that's exciting. I think the other thing, on a broader level, is you will invent the future. People like me are not going to be inventing the future. You're going to invent it. It's in your hands. And actually, uh, you have the ability to control, control that. Probably to a greater extent than you may believe currently if you're sitting at university. I mean, I was very inspired by Tiffany and what she had to say. You know, uh, she's clearly gripped it and she's going on with it and she'll, she'll make it because you can see that when she talks. So, you know, you, you can be like Tiffany. Be more Tiffany. <laughs> be more Tiffany. <laughs> But a really, really fantastic example, not, not of simply of being a great entrepreneur, Tiffany, of actually mixing the business and the creative. Yeah. You know, and I bet it's fun as well, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Now, I've hogged you for long enough. So do we have some questions? Shall we put the questions up on, on this? Yeah, oh, yes. Up. Can we have the Menti number? It sounds like a mouthwash, doesn't it? Let's have a look and see. Right. You have no control over this. I won't look, then. No, I think you shouldn't look. I'll just read it. So don't. So remember, you can bump them up the order by giving them a like. Oh, we haven't got any actually. So it's just just you and I. So how many copies have you sold of your book? Both of them, I think you bought. Yeah. <laughs> it is a good read. You sound surprised. No, no, not that surprised. It's um, it's it's it's. It makes you feel good, I think, and not all books do that. And it does actually make you feel good. It isn't dour. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't highlight the difficulties and the challenges in a way that you go, oh, you're never going to do that. It's a very optimistic book, unlike this system, which is... As two working. people who've worked in radio, we'll now talk for time, shall we? Yeah, we'll so do, we keep well, going. Okay. Talk for time. Um, so I think one of the things from the book... Uh, that, that, um, right, I, OK, um, so here's, right. The, here's the first question, and it's got 23 likes, all right? So, uh, don't look, because I think it's a really fantastic question. Okay, are you ready? Who do you think should win Drag Race UK Season 3? I don't know their names. Um, oh. I'm sorry, but I mean, I, I mean RuPaul has got to be the, the number one any, in any of those things, but I don't know their individual names, I'm really sorry. If I'd known, it wasn't on my briefing, I have to say. Phil... Uh, well, Bake Off? Can you, can you enlighten us to Bake Off? Because we do have a Bristol contestant in Bake Off. Um, I have You just say the Bristol contestant. The, I tell you what, there's a contestant on Bake Off who comes from Bristol. I can't remember their name, but I think they should win. Right answer. Okay, let's go for this one. What would you say to the government who continually undermine and diminish arts and cultural degrees? How can universities and partners change this narrative? So, I, I mean, I'm absolutely clear that studying a degree in the creative arts or in the humanities more generally is really, really valuable. Uh, I think that it's really interesting, isn't it, that the, the government has recognised the value of our overall cultural sector with, with that £2 billion that we talked about earlier. Uh, and I think, you know, one of the things I would say is the measure for what you put back into society and success is not just about uh, the, the number of noughts 
uh, on your salary. And, and I think that's something that I hope, and I, I feel we maybe have forgotten already, but I, there was a period I really got quite optimistic about us having learned that at the beginning of lockdown when we started talking about people who actually kept the country going when it was at our toughest point. And, and, and I think, you know, not all of those people are the highest salary earners, but they're incredibly valuable. And I think artists perform that. You know, if we took all of the creativity out of Bristol, just if you imagine, you know, you know, that's about the architecture, that's about what we see in advertising, it's about what we listen to uh, on the radio or the music that we download. All of those things are happening. They are all creative people. Many of them, most of them, are actually arts graduates. And some of the people who, you know, over the years have run the country and are in most senior positions are also arts graduates. So I, I want to make sure that everybody has that opportunity. Again, I don't think it's about saying we don't want engineers, because we do. We want engineers, we want scientists, we, we want that. You know, I, on the way in, I met a, a, a brilliantly exciting uh, PhD student who is doing some really, really uh, terrifyingly grown up uh, research into uh, science research that could change people's lives across the world, but is also a photographer and an artist, and she's got that creative practice as well. And I think, isn't that fantastic? And I thought, you know, meeting her, I thought, actually, you're just one of those people who is just brilliant at everything, but I love that. that those are the sort of people we always want to meet. Uh, but, you know, so for me, it's about having, um, it, it's about stopping us making binary decisions. I think that's really, really important. It's not either or, we can have and and. Okay, you ready for this one? Don't look. It makes okay. it much more exciting when you don't look, Darren. Okay, 32 people like this one. What is the most surprising, impressive, intriguing cultural response to the pandemic that you have seen? I think one of the best responses I've seen uh, actually is in, was in Holbeck, an arts organisation, a theatre company called Slung Low. Um, and they turned themselves overnight into a food bank. Um, and they absolutely became relevant to their community as a group of artists in a way that um, was amazing. And the, and the interesting thing is that they're now getting back to, to do more normal theatre making, and they've got a whole relationship with a group of people they never had a relationship with, and it was really tough, and they worked incredibly hard. But they did it with amazing compassion and kindness. But at the same time, they were, they were doing things where they were actually putting uh, a poster campaign where you, they were making people's art from the area into posters on lampposts and things like that simultaneously. They were still doing live events. They're, in, they're based in uh, the oldest working men's club in, in, in the country. They've taken it over, and they were still putting live events on in there, but they were working as a food hub as well. So I think that was really interesting. But it was interesting also around how other people uh, were, were working as well. And I, I thought it was fascinating. Wasn't it great when we saw costume makers uh, making PPE or, um, you know, theatres saying, actually, you can come and use our washing machines if you're homeless and, you, you know, things like that. So actually being vital parts of the community, uh, and that was the best thing. That was the thing. That, so when I say it's surprising, not surprising in a negative way, because I think that's what people in, in the arts and culture world are like, because they are generous and they, are, they do care and they are socially aware. But it was kind of amazing as well. It was brilliantly amazing. Okay, we've got 36 slides for the next one. With the government referring to creative arts and cultural courses as Mickey Mouse courses, I think I'm really offended by that. How do you counter this to still encourage young creatives to study and develop in this area? So, a similar question to the one before. Well, I don't know if you've been to Disneyland, but they've made a lot of money in there. And uh, so, actually, you know, uh, I think, uh, look, I, I, I think... Um, I always get worried when any argument gets down to sort of name-calling and, uh, and that sort of thing. So uh, for me, uh, I absolutely do not think that that is the case. And I absolutely think there is a value in having uh, a, a creative education uh, that goes uh, through school. And for some people, will go through university uh, and, and will go right the way through to master's and PhD. And, and people will become experts in that. And I think that's absolutely valid so you know i will always make the case for that and 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 you know actually it's interesting even when you go back to school you know things like i don't know a level dance i don't know if you've ever looked at the a level dance syllabus but uh, it may surprise you to know that i probably wouldn't be getting a, a strong grade in, in a level dance um but you know it's not only very physical but there's all the physiology that you have to learn about the body there's the biology you have to learn about it. there's the the history of dance and you have to actually be quite mathematical in how you you know t tag out the stage and things like that so it's, it's it's a much more complex thing so i think it's it's always dangerous when things are reduced to sound bites and so uh, you know i would always refute that 
There's also something very important about, um, and, it, and it's really heartening to see this acknowledgement about arts and culture in well-being uh, and in social prescribing, actually. So, you know, that, that's a fairly new thought, or, it, or it, it might not be a new thought, but it's actually been um, accepted now, and we do have GPs in our region who will send you on a course. I was talking to the person that runs our Centre for Music, which is a student service, and she says she's had many more referrals of students coming in, actually just to take part in something uh, creative in terms of helping their well-being and helping them settle into university. Well, uh, you're absolutely right. So the, the uh, National Academy for Social Prescribing, we, we've co-invested in with the Department for Health. So there's a, there's, a, there's, there's, a, there's a new whole new strand there of investment that's coming in to the arts and cultural world. It's, it's sort of nascent at the moment, but I think it'll be one that really, really grows. And we know there is a big challenge uh, around people's mental health at the moment. And one of the things, one of the things I've got very interested in, I'm, I'm very interested in positive psychology, which is the, the science of what makes life worth living. Uh, and I think it's really, and I think in the cultural world, um, there is a lot that we do that is about making life worth living. And interestingly, because in, in my working life, we have to spend a lot of time talking to Treasury and making the case for investment. And actually, life satisfaction is one of the things, if you know about the Treasury Green Book, that's kind of the Bible that they make decisions about funding things on. Life satisfaction is now one of the things that they actually acknowledge as part of it. So since 2018, that's one of the things they look at. So I think across you know, art galleries and museums and the theater and, uh, and music and performing arts, uh, there's a lot that we do that is about adding to people's life satisfaction. And I think also, you know, I would say looking at a school environment, uh, the value of, of not just having uh, rigorous academic subjects, but also having, you know, vigorous and rigorous cultural subjects as well. You know, for me, in a school or in a learning environment, culture can create a culture and I think it can change things. So sport does it as well, but you know, it's, it's about having those other things in life. So for me, that's really, really important. And, and one of the things, if I, if I had to sort of have my, my three words, because everyone needs three words these days about what I do, you know, creating happier lives is actually what I get up in the morning for. I think that's what we do at the Arts Council. And in, in the end, whether you work as somebody who's out as a relationship manager, working very closely with artists and arts organizations, or you're sitting processing grants in our finance team or our operations team in Manchester, uh, actually, we're creating happier lives. We're, we're helping people to, 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 to live a bit of a better life. So, so, see if you can create a few happy lives with an answer to this question then. Oh, it's gone. And it had an illustration on it, but we've, it's gone. I was really impressed with that one because it had a graphic on it as well. But it's gone. Okay, let's go for this one. This has got 19 likes. How will the Arts Council support and amplify creative work by underrepresented groups, e.g. ethnic minorities and those with disabilities? Uh, we need to get better at uh, uh, being broader in how we invest our money, and we're working very hard to do that. It's a good question, and it's a good challenge that we should have all the time. We want to make sure that all the money that we're investing is invested in a way that uh, is supportive for people from every background, every community, every geography, every ethnicity, and also that we recognise you know, uh, the, the role that the disabled artists bring as well, and they've probably been underinvested in over time. So, so we've got to get better at that, and, and we're really interested in talking to people, in engaging with people, and going on that journey with them. We're not there yet, we need to be better at it. Right, shall we count, a few, count a through a few okay, of these now? Quicker? No, no, because we've got go a lot, quicker. we've got 50, okay. no, no, okay, right, this is one with the illustration again. Bristol is a great place, heart, but like all cities, we have disparity. What's your advice in levelling up locally? How do we bring all forms of arts to all communities in Bristol? Quick answer, so we can go through a few of these. Uh, generosity got... of spirit, talk to each other, and, and actually make the case, and I think can make the case to people like us, but when the case is well made, um, uh, the money is more likely to follow. Tell okay. a story, have a narrative. How much of a priority are smaller venues and freelance creatives rather than the large established organisations? You can have a bit longer on that one, Diane. Okay, so free, free, I mean, we are an industry that does have a very high level of, of, of freelance creatives and, and, and I absolutely know how tough it's been for those creatives over, over the last 18 months and I don't minimise that at all. So things like uh, Develop Your Creative Practice, which is a relatively new program that we have. Uh, we've, we've grown the funding of that from, from 3.6 million to about 18 million, uh, and that means more uh, creative practitioners will come through that course, that, 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 uh, that, that fund. It's really important. We, we, we know that as part of Let's Create, we will build uh, our investment in individuals. 
it's also important that we do have those smaller new organisations. One of the things we talked about, the Emergency Response Fund, actually, that reached out to a whole load of, uh, of organisations across the country who we'd never previously had a funding relationship with, and it's really exciting to now talk to them. They now are starting to become people who are coming back, and we're working with on our National Lottery Project grants. So there's a journey there, and uh, you know, it is really important. Twelve likes for this one. As a festival organisation, we are experiencing spiralling production costs and a dearth of freelancers, many of whom have left the creative industries. Will ACE help to rebuild this wider cultural ecosystem? Uh, we'll do what we can. The, the money is, is finite and the budgets are finite, but I, I suppose one of the questions is, as the work is being recommissioned, there is that question about whether people will come back, and I, I, don't, I don't have an answer to that, and we'll, we'll need to work together to understand which bits do come back and which groups of people do come back and, and where we need to do more development work. Uh, we also need to make sure that the, the training opportunities are there for people as well. And I think one of the things, you know, we're in a higher education institution, but I think we're also really keen to work to a greater extent with further education institutions as well. And some of those craft-based craft skills are ideally uh, taught in, in FE. And so we, we, that's an area where I think we want to develop a greater number of relationships. Next question, please. Oh, are there no other questions? Oh, no, here we go, here we go. Ten likes. Can you talk a little about the role of libraries in ACE plans? Prior to the pandemic, you took on a role of cultural responsibility to the library sector. Is this still part of ACE's future? Yeah, absolutely. So libraries are really important. So we're not the core funder of libraries, we should say. So that is slightly different. So libraries are a statutory responsibility of local authorities, and that's how they're funded. However, we are the National Development Agency for libraries, so we're working a lot with all of the different parts of, uh, uh, that goes into a library. And we have a whole series of, uh, of, of programmes that we support uh, in libraries. I think libraries are really important because I think they're very egalitarian cultural spaces on high streets up and down the country, staffed by amazing people who want to share knowledge. And, you know, for a lot of people, they're the first place, say if you're, uh, you know, someone coming into this country for the first time, they're probably the first place where someone will actually, you'll meet in a kind of official capacity who isn't trying to test you in any way. So it might be where you send your email home, it might be where you do your language class, it might be where you, you learn about things, you know, the NHS locally and things like that you might sign up to. It might be where you can just go and, and, and sit and, and, and it's okay to be there all day. And I think they're really powerful places. Um, I think if we didn't have libraries, someone will be coming to us and saying we're going to create this network of buildings across the country and they're going to be staffed by really intelligent people and they're, you know, they're going to be places where you can get knowledge and, and you can uh, do sorts of things and they're going to be internet connected. We've got them. So we've got to love them, we've got to cherish them, and we've got to value them. But I think also what's really exciting to me is there's a sort of new generation of people leading libraries who are asking that question of what can we be and what can we do, uh, and I think that's really exciting. So books and reading, very, very important to us. So Sarah Crown, who's one of our directors here in the, in, in the Bristol office, is our National Director of Literature, and she would be very cross with me if I didn't plug reading and the importance of that, uh, and it is really important, and literature is a really important art form for us, so I think going forward, literature and libraries and the possibility that they can do of a different sort of levelling up is quite important. Okay, change of tack to numbers now, rather than words, if that's okay. Um, we've got a, a spending review um, on the horizon. I happen to know that actually uh, our regional authority have put in a, a very nice figure uh, to the government for arts and culture, and um, a much increased figure. So very heartening. Whether we get it or not is a different matter, but it's it's actually having the it's having the backing of them for the importance of it. Uh, so this question is like by nine people. What do you think the outcome of the upcoming spending review will be for arts and culture? So a bit, a bit of crystal ball gazing there. Well, it it, it will depend. Um, as they usually do on, on, on last-minute decisions. You know, all the work will be done in terms of, of creating a case, and you should rest assured we, we have made the most robust possible case. Uh, I, I am as greedy as possible to bring as much revenue as possible into uh, arts organisations, artists, museums and libraries, um, but it will be a decision for the Treasury, and, and, I, and I don't speak for the government, I don't speak for the Treasury, uh, you know, but anybody looking in will know that there are clear pressures on the, on, on the public funding. Uh, and we will make that best possible case. Uh, and, you know, we'll continue to do that. Uh, we'll find out on the 27th of October. Okay, shall we just take a couple more? Hmm? Okay. 13 likes. Uh, what's the ACE approach to the climate crisis and sustainability? You speak of the young people holding the future. How is ACE supporting giving them a future to create? Mm. 
So I think we've spent a lot of time working with Julie's Bicycle on uh, working with our organisations uh, across uh, the cultural sector to be as environmentally sustainable as they possibly can. And we see environmental sustainability as being a core part of Let's Create going forward. Um, we uh, actually, the work we've done with, with, with um, Julie's Bicycle is genuinely world leading. So we spend a lot of time talking to arts councils like us across the world, and they can't quite believe that we've got this far already. So it is really important. You know, I think one of the learnings we've had over the last 18 months is, you know, biology, uh, you know, the, 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 the world out there is bigger than us as human beings, and that was a big thing uh, that came in terms of COVID. I think the environmental uh, uh, situation is even bigger, and it's more urgent, and, and, you know, we have to absolutely grip that and see it as a central part of what we want to do. So, so a lot of it is about how we work as an organisation to be as environmentally sound, how we encourage all the organisations we work with to be as environmentally sound as we possibly can. But then I'm also very interested in what artists can do and creative people can do to tell that story, to challenge the thinking, uh, to create art that, uh, that actually makes people think more about this as well. So there's a, there's a great message there that artists can do. So some of it's about, the, if you like, the business and the operations and the functional stuff, and we, that's really important, and we must be best in class at that. But also it's about what's our creative uh, messages that we're taking out around this. And just to prove I have looked at your website, there's quite a, a really interesting bit on sustainability in, in Let's Create and in your delivery plan, isn't there? There's some really interesting detail there about your thinking in that space too. Yeah, and Julie's Bicycle has been an amazing organisation to work with and we will continue to work with them and there'll be new things we'll be talking about with them. You know, obviously there's going to be a big focus on this in COP26 in the next few weeks. So, uh, you know, we're, we're really keen to be part of that story. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to allow two more questions. So this is, this is the last but one. Okay. Eight, eight thumbs up for this one. How can the value, how can the value add, oh yeah, the value add of culture be quantified in a world driven by finances? Well, I, I mentioned about uh, life satisfaction and that has a, a quantifiable part of it. And I, I don't think we should ever be scared if we're making the case to people who need to hear a story that is economically focused. We should make the case in economic terms, and that's okay. But we also know that there's other things that are valuable here as well. So I, I would always make the case in education terms. Uh, we've talked about health and well-being. I'd, I'd make the case in placemaking. I think it's really, really important, the stories we have. I'd make the case about us when we're going out on, as a country onto the international stage, about how people see us as a place where great uh, literature and films and television and theatre uh, and dance and music is made and created. And I think you know, it's all part of our story. So for me, it's about a narrative. So this is a lovely question, I think, to end on. And I think it, it proves some of the things you said about us being a collaborative and generous city. Okay. The future needs to be collaborative and generous-hearted. How can we support and lobby for you as you do for us? That's a very nice question. And all I would say is you make it easy when you make great work. When you have your best creative lives, the things you imagine, uh, you make it easy for us to do our job. If your work is substandard or poor, then that's really hard, but your work isn't. You know, Bristol is a great city. We're, we've got great uh, organisations, we've got great individual artists, and we've got great leaders in these institutions. So, so long as we keep telling that story positively and you keep creating amazing things, then you make my job a lot easier. Darren, thank you very much indeed. For more information about the Bristol Lectures series, including other podcasts from the series, visit ue.ac.uk slash Bristol Lectures or follow hashtag Bristol Lectures.